normally, well, not normally, but it is not unusual for Susan and I to um, go spend New Year's at the Outer Banks. It's just something over the years we've kind of not really a tradition because we don't do it every year. We haven't done it in a while, um, but we enjoy going to the Outer Banks. And I was looking through some old pictures this week, um, actually looking for something. And I saw a picture of Susan and I standing on the Outer Banks um, with our jeans rolled up kind of close to our knees. And we're kissing there on the on the beach. It was a great picture. Clearly, it was warm enough. We're in sweaters, but it's warm enough that we can be walking barefoot on the beach. So then I also found a picture of Susan and I at pretty much the same place. We are so bundled up and wrapped up with scarves and gloves and coats and hats that you would hardly know that there's somebody in there. Um, I mean, but but it's at the same spot and it's at the same time of year um, because we just love we love the Outer Banks and we especially love being out there at New Year's and there's nobody there and you're just kind of enjoying and celebrating and really worshiping what the Lord, uh, worshiping God for what he's done. I was thinking about that because um, I do love the beach. I love being at the coast. Uh, being from the mountains, maybe that's part of it, but I just love the coast. Um, and, I'm, and I've always been kind of amused in one way. Uh, the, the ocean is attractive to me. I love being in the water. But at the same time, it's, it can be terrifying. It can be something that we should very much fear. Um, and I get this picture in my mind, and I see this every time we go down with our family. Our, our smallest of our grandchildren, whoever it might be at the time, tends to want to just sit up on the coast, sit up on the beach, and play in the puddle that has been left by the waves. You know, if the tide is descending... Uh, and there's little eddies and little places there at the beach, little pools, you know. Um, those kids are often absolutely enthralled with just that little bit of ocean water that's left in that puddle. And they'll splash in it and play in it and build their sandcastles and just... And they're, they're not looking toward that ocean as something that they want any part of. I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. You know, run down to the edge, and as the waves come in, we're running back this way, you know, and run down to the edge and keep running back. As I was reading this week and last week in the Gospel of John, going back through and reading the farewell discourse, and especially looking at John 17, I felt like one of those little kids that too often is satisfied with just splashing in the edge and just not really going in. And looking at Jesus praying and listening to him pray in John chapter 17 and almost a sense of fear and a sense of awe and a, and a sense of, of want, a desire on one hand and on the other hand a fear of that desire to really taste what it is that we see Jesus praying and understand what it is that he's praying in John chapter 17. And um, to that end, what what I had originally, again, I haven't done any studying this week um, as far as that goes, but I think it would be a good thing for us to do to spend uh, some time today and next week 
uh, thinking about Jesus's prayer here in John chapter 17, especially his prayer for the church, his prayer for us that starts in verse 20. I think it would be helpful for us to think about that within the context, listen, within the context of who we are here at Westwood, that we are a church that seeks to be grounded in Christ, growing together in his word, and going for God's glory on the mission to which he's called us to go. Grounded in Christ, growing together in his word, and going on mission. And I see those, I see that being prayed for. I see Jesus praying for that in this prayer in John chapter 17, specifically starting there in verse 20. And and I think it would be helpful for us, as we often do at the beginning of the year, to just reflect a little bit on who we are as a church, what it is that God has called us to, who it is that he has called us to, and how that relates um, in our relationship to each other and, and to our church family here. So um, I'm going to read John chapter 17, uh, but how about let's pray together first before I do. Father, we do uh, bless you and thank you this day uh, for how gracious and good you have been to us over these past 12 months, as we, as Jason said, as we come to the end of this year, um, Lord, as we turn the page, uh, make us mindful, keep us mindful of the mercies that you have poured out on us daily, uh, every day, Lord, new mercies have come to us. Uh, Father, in many ways, this past year has been very, very difficult uh, for some of our church family. Um, for others, Lord, it's just been a normal year. Others, it's been filled with celebrations and, and milestones in their lives. Uh, Lord, all of that is just a part of what it is to live life under the sun here. Uh, Lord, the joys and the celebrations, the sadness, the sorrows, the trials, the difficulties. God, all of that's a part of what it is. Um, and so we thank you for your faithfulness to bring us to this place. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have um, to reflect to assess, and God, to um, just surrender again to you. Um, and I pray that, Lord, your spirit will uh, take this this word. Uh, Lord, it is a sacred text. All of your word is sacred. All of it, God, is holy. And, it, it, and by it, Lord, we are set apart, this very prayer tells us. But, Lord, um, this, one is, this one is special in a, in a different way, and we just pray, Lord, for a sense of reverence, a sense of awe. Lord, for a, a sense of um, wonder that we would be allowed to sit in and eavesdrop on a conversation between God the Father and God the Son. And as God, your spirit works in us, um, help us, I pray, have some holy insight into this. And I pray that in Jesus name. Amen. So chapter 17 of John um, falls into um, a context into a section of John that I remember back when we were preaching through John years ago. It's called the Farewell Discourse. Jesus, the, the whole passage kind of begins in chapter 13, where Jesus takes his towel and wraps it around his waist, takes his, takes his outer garments off, wraps the towel around his waist, and proceeds to wash his disciples' feet. Um, and John chapter 13 um, begins with that account of his washing his feet and then talking about Judas. So one of you will betray me, he says. 
and he points Judas out in that regard uh, by taking the bread and dipping it. And it says in verse 30 that after receiving the morsel of bread, Judas immediately went out and it was night. That's important. It was night. So the darkness and the light that has been a theme of John from John chapter 1 is all the way, is working its way all the way through there. And so in a sense, in John chapter 13, Jesus is cleansing his disciples. They are cleansed physically, if you will, by their feet being washed. And that's a picture of the spiritual cleansing that is coming upon the disciples through Christ, through trusting in him. But they're being cleansed in a, in, a, in a group setting, too. They're being cleansed as a group. Judas has been now removed from the body. He's removed from the disciples. So their feet are cleansed and their unity is cleansed in one sense because he is gone now. And with that holy, cleansed body of disciples now together in that upper room, Jesus begins to teach them. And it begins... In John chapter 14, with him giving that amazing reminder to us that we seem to read every time we have a funeral, that, that I'm about to leave and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you again to myself, that where I am there, you may be also, he says. And then he goes on to say that he is the way and the truth and the life. We're familiar with so much of what we read there in John chapter 14. And then he goes on and begins to spell out how all of this is about to be done. But he gives them this new commandment at the end of that cleansing period there in John chapter 13. It says, and I'm reading in that chapter 13 and verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. What in the world? <laughs> the, the, the language just seems to be circular there. It's hard to keep up with. In, verse, in the next verse, he says, Little children, yet a, yet a little while I am with you, and you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So with that new commandment that Jason read portions of John's treatment of that in the epistle in 1 John, Jesus lays down this foundational understanding of these disciples' identity and how it is that that's going to be played out and lived out among them. And the Holy Spirit's going to be the one who teaches them, recalls to them his word, the one who is their helper, it goes all the way through in John chapter 15, talking about staying united to Christ, being a part of the vine, the work of the Holy Spirit. All of that goes into that. And then he wraps all of this up in John chapter 17 with this prayer. And here's the deal. In the, in the, in the Jewish culture, prayers were instructive. And they were instructive in this sense, in that often the master, if you will, or the rabbi would pray with his students around him listening. And, and there's such an important aspect to this that we, I, I fear we don't do well in, in our church. And I'm not just speaking in Westwood. I don't know of many churches that always do this really well, but I don't think we do it as well as we should. And that is teaching one another through the way we pray teaching one another 
by listening to each other pray. It is instructive. It is um, instructive in positive and negative ways sometimes. Um, and, and yet Jesus speaks these words. He lifts his eyes to heaven. And just follow along with me. And, and one commentator said that this is holy ground. This is, this is in, in one sense, I'm the last person in the world that ought to be up here teaching you about John chapter 17. It's, it's amazing that we're allowed the opportunity to sit in and listen to our Lord Jesus Christ have a personal, intimate conversation with his heavenly father. And yet he invites us in and we get to listen. And, and, and if you will, we get to almost watch it unfolding. When Jesus had spoken these words, and that's all the words that come in chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16. When he'd spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in the truth. Excuse me. And have come to know in truth that I came from you. And that they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world. But for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours. And yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, that they are not, excuse me, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. In verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. 
that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I would encourage you to go back and read that chapter daily this week. Just spend a few minutes and read through chapter 17 again. Remember, as we were studying just a couple of weeks ago in 1 Samuel, the most effective, I believe the most Christ-centered way we can pray is to pray God's word back to him. And that is certainly no better place, perhaps, to start Then in John chapter 17, and praying this back to the Lord, even as we echo the words of Jesus as we do that. But understand that part of what he's praying is not something that we necessarily make our own words. Because this is this intimate conversation between God the Father and God the Son that is mysterious. It is mystical. There is a there is a dimension of our faith that I fear in in our Western pragmatic society here in America. We dismiss or we back away from like those big, powerful waves in the ocean. I'm not sure I want any of that. It might sweep me away. Well, yes, it might. (laughs) It might. And sometimes I think Jesus is asking us to stick in a little bit more than our big toe. So that we can get into the deep. And this is the deep, no doubt about it. It begins by Jesus praying for himself, but this is not a praying for himself like we often think of praying for ourselves. Lord, I I pray for Susan. Lord, I pray for Brad. I pray for Brian. I pray for my cold. I pray for my flu. I pray for my lungs. You know, I pray for my retirement. You know, that's not what Jesus seems to be doing here. And so it is It is categorized in all the commentaries as Jesus praying for himself. But he is not praying for himself in the same way that we often think of praying for ourselves. Jesus is praying here a central foundational truth. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you since you have given him authority. It echoes back from John chapter 1. In fact, John chapter 1 and John chapter 13, I think, excuse me, John chapter 17, almost go parallel beside each other. We can't understand the one without the other. And the first one in John chapter 1 sheds light on John chapter 17 in such a way that I think is profound. And Jesus is speaking here with human language, but is doing it in a heavenly conversation. And that human language cannot transcend that that. That distance, if you will, that dimension, it seems that the language in some ways is limited here because Jesus is praying in the present for what has happened in eternity past and what will continue to happen in eternity to come. He is praying in a way. Listen, do you hear his words there? 
He said, Father, glorify me. And yet he is saying, I have had this glory. Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I have had with you from before, from when the world existed, before the world existed. In the beginning was the word and the word was, was, was God. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So this eternal glory of Christ that has existed as, as the Godhead for eternities, he's praying for that glory to be manifested. And so it's a timeless prayer that he's praying here. And all of it is focused, if you will, on the, on the, the men that he has called, the disciples that he's called, on the mission that he's given them. And so this past, this present, and this future are all in mind here. And Jesus says, I have finished what you have sent me to do, but yet it's the night before the cross. So what does he mean that he has finished what he had been sent to do? Well, what does he say that he has done? Verse 6, I have manifested your name. I have, I, have, I have made known your name to the people whom you gave me. Jesus says, I have finished the work that you sent me to do. And in one sense, it is done because the incarnation has come. The word has become flesh and taken up its residence among us. And because God has wrapped himself in human flesh and has come to the earth... He has manifested himself now. He has made himself known through Christ. And so we go back to John chapter 1. And when it says there that the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And it says, uh, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. No one has ever seen God, he says in verse 18. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. That's the work that Jesus came to do, was to manifest the Father to those whom God called to himself, to those whose spiritual eyes were open. And here he is. I have completed the work that you have given me to do. I have manifested your name. And he has done this with sovereign authority. He has done this based on God's sovereign work in the lives. Those that you have given me, he says. And this authority, this idea that Jesus has never claimed to be equal with God and never claimed to be God himself. Who came up with that? This is the clearest statement you'll ever find of Jesus declaring who he is and understanding his self-identity in being completely equal with God in every way. All the authority has been given to me to give eternal life. He says, I've manifested your name. You've given to me. They've kept your word. And so all of this prayer that Jesus has for himself is centered on this idea that he has come to manifest God's name. The centrality of God's name is important here because that name will be repeated over and over in this prayer. Holy Father, keep them in your name. I kept them in your name. Father, I have manifested your name. If nothing else helps us this morning, this should be the focus of our life in every minute of every day that God gives us to glorify and make much of his name. It is the name above every name. And so, church, if there is ever anything that would distract us from magnifying and making much of the name of Jesus... Please, God, let your spirit show it to us so that we can kill it, 
so that we can put that sin out of our lives. Jesus' primary mission was to magnify God, to demonstrate and make known who God is. And he wrapped himself in flesh and came and did that. And I have manifested your name. So the centrality of his name is important there. And also central in this is our understanding of what it means to be in Christ, to have eternal life. And he says that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Understand this. When we say we want to be grounded in Christ and growing together in his word, that is at the very core of what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. To be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ is not to know truths about God. Not head knowledge truths about God. Head knowledge truths about Jesus. That is not what the knowledge that Jesus is praying for here is talking about. The Hebrew understanding, the Jewish understanding of knowledge is an intimacy. It's a relationship. It's a depth. It's the same thing that, that, that Jason prayed earlier as he was talking out of 1 John. That to know God is to love him and obey him. And so that's eternal life that we will know, that we will trust, that there'll be a depth of a relationship there. And that is what Jesus has come to do. He prays for himself in that way. And then the focus of the prayer changes. And I, even in reflection, in your sermon notes, I have listed as his prayer for himself down through verse 5. But I think it goes all the way down through verse 8. He's not really yet praying for his disciples in verses 8 Seven, eight. He's, he's simply another manifestation, another dimension, if you will, of what he is doing for his disciples. I've given them the words that you gave me. I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. So now he starts praying for his disciples, those who are in that room with him in verse nine. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus has already said to his disciples, I'm leaving. I'm going to prepare a place. I'm leaving. But I will come again and receive you to myself. You'll you'll be with me. But here he goes praying for them now. And here's the spiritual reality that he is making very clear. Even as he prays for them, I'm leaving, you're staying. You are staying in this world. And throughout the Gospel of John, the world is not just a physical dimension. It is a spiritual reality. And the world is that spiritual reality that is opposed to the eternal reality of God's kingdom. Satan is called the God of this world. And so Jesus is making this statement here, this reality about his disciples, about not just their proximity, but about their protection, about their provision. He is praying for them as they will remain here on mission with him. Lord, I'm coming to you. Keep them in your name, even while they are in this world. It is a spiritual reality, a picture of this protection that comes to us who are in Christ. Yes, it's for those disciples of Jesus, but it's true for us as well. And so as he's praying for them, he's praying for their protection and their and their provision. 
And he's praying for their unity. He's praying for a singularity in their heart, in their relationship to each other, and in their mission there within that world. He says, as I'm coming to you, I speak, he says, but now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And he says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm asking you just to protect them, provide for them. Lord, bind them together in me and in you. In this supernatural bond of unity. This is what in those moments of mental clarity that I've had this week. And there have not been a lot of them. But the thing that has, has still just mystified me in one sense. And I was praying about it early this morning. This understanding or, or just Lord help us to understand Help us to, to put our feet in the water here and be willing to go right up to our necks if necessary to understand what it is that Jesus is praying for. What he is saying here when he says, make them one as you and I are one, Father. Make them one as you are in me and I am in you. In our divided, tribalized, segregated, gated, locked up communities, there is nothing further from the reality in too many of our lives than this supernatural unity that Jesus is praying for here. I fear I fear that for many of us, me included, understanding the depth of what it is that Jesus is praying for here is like me looking into someone doing brain surgery and trying to explain it to you. This is, this is the depth of what it means to be in Christ. And, and as Jesus is praying for this, my prayer for myself has been, Lord, I need to get more than my toes wet here. I need to be willing to let the energy of this wave wash me wherever you want me to wash, to take me wherever you want me to take me. Because this whole idea of a supernatural unity that's bound up in the very character and, and in the very Godhead the unity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is exactly what Jesus is praying for here, first for his disciples and then for us, starting in verse 20. And as he prays for this supernatural bond of unity that comes there, it's just, church, this is, this is why I think it would be helpful for all of us to read this together this week, repeatedly, and just pray the same prayer. Lord, show us what you mean. Show us, Lord, what it is. To be one in Christ as Christ is one in you and you are one in him. He prays for their unity. He prays for their holiness in verse 17. Do you see that? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. 
So again, Jesus is looking forward in one sense to what's going to happen in the, on the cross as he is totally set apart, totally, con- totally consecrated apart for God on, the, on behalf of those whom are redeemed through him. And he says, even as I consecrate myself, I am praying for them that, Lord, as you sent me, I sent them into the world. So this idea that there is a, a mission that he is calling them to, the centrality of his name, the centrality of this knowledge of who they are in Christ, sanctification. Listen, sanctification, as Jesus is praying here for his disciples, is always related to mission. It is always related to what it is that God has called us to do. God came into this world in Christ to manifest himself. He came into this world so that we could understand who he is. Jesus' answer to Thomas would be his answer to you and me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So in Christ we see this, we see God manifested, made evident to us. And God's activity in the world is to bring this truth to bring this light, to bring this life that we read about in John chapter 1. And disciples like Christ himself are sent. And they're sent for this purpose. It's not our purpose. It's God's purpose. And so when we talk about being grounded in Christ and growing together and going on mission, wherever it is he calls us to go, starting right here in Roxborough, this is the very core of what it is that Jesus is praying for his disciples and for us. As he begins to pray in chapter 17, starting in verse 20, for Westwood, for you and for me, I just want us to listen to part of this again. And I want you to note, even with a pencil if you want to, mark it in your Bible if you haven't done it yet. Mark where you see the word one. Or where you see in us just this idea of, of oneness and unity. So he's, Jesus is saying there, I'm not asking, I'm not just praying for these disciples in this room, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Well, that's you and me, right? We have believed because of the word of the apostles. We have believed because of the preaching and teaching. And the word that comes to us through the apostles. Jesus now is praying for for us. That they may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. That one verse there. That they may all be one. Just as, Father, you are in me and I in you. That they may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus is praying for our unity. He's praying for the witness of that unity. He's praying that there'll be a supernatural dimension to the way brothers and sisters in Christ, not just here at Westwood, but specifically here, transcend different cultural identities, different political identities, different socioeconomic identities, that all of that will be set aside. That we will not see ourselves in any light other than in the light of who we are in Christ. 
And that church will blow the mind of the world around us and the community around us. It will be attractive in a way that they've never seen anything like it. And I fear that's the case even today, that it's just rare to see that. And so we're going to pick it up there next week and relate it more specifically to our mission here at the church what it is for us to be covenanted together in unity together, what it is for us to be together as disciples in Christ who are grounded and growing and going. Because the impact of a, of a truly unified church like Jesus is praying for here is beyond anything we can imagine. I really believe that. I believe that's what Paul was touching on in Ephesians as he was praying for, for the church. And I'll, I'll close with this. Let's pray together. If you want to do that eyes open prayer with me, do that. I'm in Ephesians chapter 3. So, Father, in Christ our Lord, we come to you this morning. We come to you, Lord, under the reality, recognizing that it is your will, it is your express stated purpose that through your church, your manifold wisdom will be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Lord, it is, it is crystal clear that that is your will, that is your work, and that is what you're doing. And so, Lord, with that in mind, we bow our knees before you this morning, Father. The Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. The Lord, according to the riches of your glory, the very glory that Jesus prayed for and from in John 17. That, Lord, from the riches of your glory, you would grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner being. That Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. And that, Lord, we together, being rooted and grounded in love, would have the strength to understand together the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of your love for us in Christ. To know the love of Christ. That surpasses knowledge. That God we could be filled with the very fullness of God. Lord that we would begin to grasp that mystical spiritual truth. Of being so bound up together in Christ. That the very unity of the Godhead is seen. And experienced by us. Lord we pray that knowing that you are able to do far more abundantly. Than anything we could ask or even think. According to the power that's at work in us. So Lord we just pray that you will be glorified. Through this church here at Westwood. That you'll be glorified through Christ. Through this church here at Westwood. And not just today, Lord, but through all generations and forever and throughout all of eternity. 
And it's in Christ's holy name we pray that. Amen.